Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com. Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three stakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Year's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. a weekly podcast from the Canon, an Espionation blog about your Columbus Blue Jackets. I'm your host, PD, and I'm joined this week by Eric Seeds. Welcome, Seeds. How's it going? You know, it's a bright, sunny day in Columbus, so naturally I'm going to spend all evening inside watching hockey. <laughs> yes, so uh, the NHL playoffs start tonight as we are recording this on Monday. Very exciting time of the year. Unfortunately, our Blue Jackets are not a part of it, although I don't think that comes as a surprise to anyone who followed the team over the last year. Um, But we'll start there with our assessment of the team. Uh, Coming into the season, I kept saying that the team was going to be bad, but fun. Do you think that that held true? Well, they scored a lot of goals and gave up a lot. So, you know, franchise record for most goals allowed and one of the worst defensive seasons since the lockout. So, but was it fun? Uh, Parts of it were fun. There were parts that were extremely not fun, and there were parts that were fun. Like, Patrick Laine going on a here for a month straight was delightful. So, yeah, I'd say it was, I'd say it was, there were parts of it that were entertaining. Okay, fair enough. And I think that, uh, I would say that they were better than bad. They weren't good. You know, they were point under Hockey 500, but still they finished with 81 points where... They hit their Vegas over-under. Yeah, the over-under was 76 and a half. You know, a lot of projections had them in the 70s at best, had them finishing at the bottom of the division, all that. And no, they finished sixth in the division, 81 points. Like that's, that. considering that it was a roster that had a lot of turnover, had a new head coach, was a first-time head coach, uh, had, you know, youngest team in the league again. So I think they overcame a lot, a lot of injuries to key players, and they still managed a, respectable record all things considered it wasn't a 
dreadfully awful team by any means. No, they had a better than I anticipated season. I was one of the people who predicted them to finish last in the division, and I predicted them to finish below 76 and a half points. I didn't see much from this team. And I was pleasantly surprised with some of the goaltending or, or some of the uh, offensive outputs here. Um, really surprised with the season Boone Jenner had. Uh, did not see that coming. He had a really good year until, unfortunately, injuries cut it short. Jake Vorchek looked like a guy who uh, still has some stuff to contribute. I don't know how for how much longer, but he looked good leading the team in points this year. Um, kind of rejuvenated Patrick Line that they lo- they worked very well together as we kind of anticipated they would going into the season. Um, Oliver Bjorkstrand had another solid season. He looked he looked really good out there. Zach Wierenski had another good season when he wasn't getting smacked in the face repeatedly. Um, there were there were some there were some bright spots this year, especially offensively. I mean, Jack Roslovic ended the year on a really nice hot streak. Um, so that you know there were some. As I said, I I didn't have the highest expectations for the year or for the team. Um, there were definitely some things that I was extremely let down about. And I'm sure we'll touch on those here shortly. But offensively speaking, um, a lot of guys surprised me. I mean, also Cole Sillinger stuck in the yeah. league all and. Uh, he played. All, he played seventy nine games for the team. Couldn't couldn't be happier about that. I shared a uh, kind of a stat of just comparing Sillinger and another young player who's in the playoffs this year. Just kind of a player A, player B comparison, and he stacks up very favorably with Capo Caco, who has kind of been a disappointment. But I saw that and I was like, oh, Caco hasn't been very good, but look, Sillinger's playing very well this year for the youngest player in the NHL. That's that was a revelation. And yeah, he, well, he, he's several years younger than Kako and Sillinger's playing center, whereas Kako right. is a wing. So Sillinger was given one of the toughest jobs to play in hockey as a young kid. And I, I feel like he mostly rose to the challenge. Yeah, my big my biggest takeaway from the season, other than we should just re-sign Patrick Line for a long term, is mm-hmm. Cole Sillinger is going to be a dude. Cole yes. Sillinger is Cole. That that's my big takeaway from the year is you got you've got something in Cole Sillinger that you can build on. So as I said, this was the first season with Brad Larson as head coach. Uh, I know that both of us were not happy with the signing. We felt like the team could have done something better, a little bit more creative, um, some maybe more proven. But given our our very low expectations, how would you assess? the coaching job of Larson this year. So when I filled out the survey for the athletic um, on how would I read Brad Larson's performance, I said he did better than expected. Mm-hmm. That might be because my expectations were <laughs> Jeff Blashill. Right. But he exceeded the, he exceeded the very low Lars bar. Right. There are some quibbles I have with, uh, the team, um, I would since I I know he's going to get extended. I think I saw it reported, but I would sincerely hope they fire or revamp the defensive structure this summer because it was god awful. Right. I have quibbles with that. I have some you know nitpicks here and there, but he's fine. I do. I think he's the answer long term. No. Do I think they'll cut bait when the team is actually ready to go on the upswing for real? Probably maybe give him a year and then cut bait. But for now, he's fine. What what are the drawbacks that you think keep him from 
being the coach of a contender? And, and, and why do you think those are things that cannot be improved by him? I haven't seen proof of concept. Um, I don't think, uh, I, I haven't seen proof of concept. I haven't seen him coach a winner at any level. I haven't seen him as a head, as a head coach. I haven't seen him coach a successful power play when he has had utmost talent to do so. And normally teams that succeed, look at Tampa, look at the Florida Panthers this year. Look at, I know they tend to flame out in the playoffs, but look at the Toronto Maple Leafs. They, those are the teams that are always up in the top upper echelon of power plays. And those teams tend to win, especially the Tampa Bay lightning. I just, I, I would rather put faith in a coach who has a proven track record of winning in the postseason when I have not seen it from Brad Larson. Okay, fair enough. I I will push back a little bit on the the record of success because he did, I believe, win his division in the two seasons as head coach of Springfield when he was the coach there in the AHL. Um, So he did have success there as a head coach. Um, Now those teams maybe underperformed in the playoffs, uh, when he was there. Uh, and obviously they did a lot better under Jared Bednar once he took over from Larson. I think that, uh, yeah, I would agree that schematically there wasn't much going on with the team. Um, now there are positive and negatives to that. Cause I, one thing I think it was Patrick Liney praised about Larson was that he gave the players freedom to sort of, you know, be creative and kind of do their own thing. And when you have really creative players like Line, I think there's some value to just letting them play. Um, Warensky noted that, you know, and without explicitly saying it, but it was implied that in contrast to Torts that, um, you know, players weren't gripping their sticks as hard with Larson as coach. They weren't as afraid of making a mistake because they knew that they weren't going to get stapled to the bench for it. Um, so that is, you know, I think a, a positive thing. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that he is a uh, necessarily a cup winning coach. I would agree that yeah, he exceeded my expectations as well. I think the fact that so many players uh, had career years or showed improvement under him is a good sign. I think he was hired because he could be a developmental coach, and I feel like what we saw development from this team. And I'm you know I'm curious to see though what will happen. Um, you know, next season, what he can do to build on this. Can there continue to be improvement going forward? Certainly defensively, that needs to be a big focus. Yeah. And that's my, and that's my, where I'm going to push back on this career year talk because yeah, a lot of guys had career years offensively. Again, this team defensively was one of the worst teams in the lockout era. And that is simply not good enough. And there, I get the, you know, guys are not afraid to make mistakes or, you know, they were, you know, playing a little more loose with a little less structure, but there's got to be a happy medium here of got to have some sort of structure and system and, you know, commitment to defensive responsibilities from guys on the roster, especially if you're going to ice guys like Patrick Line, then guys like Jake Vorchak and Jack Roslovic have to be committed to it not to excuse line. A. Line has got to do something too. Um, they've got to be somewhat committed to some sort of defensive structure because you can't, I know the Florida Panthers are trying to prove this wrong, but you can't offense your way, generally speaking, to a Stanley Cup unless you've got like Jonathan Huberdeau and Sasha Barkov, right. and we don't have those guys. Yeah. Now l- l- let me put put this forward. 
you know, there was so much roster turnover last year, and a lot of guys weren't part of the organization until late July, early August. You had, you know, Steve McCarthy having to step in as the new coach of the defense just weeks before training camp. So I wonder if perhaps with a full offseason, with this staff in place, with these players having a full offseason to absorb the system and all of that and to be able to communicate with the coaches, that if there can be some improvement that way, and if they can build on what they did this year to make tweaks and improvements there, if just having a year under the belt because it was such a young team that a lot of guys were just adjusting to being full-time in the league for the first time and, you know, learning a defensive scheme is something that ultimately is going to take time. It's not something that is going to be grasped right away. I don't know. You had some, you had some, you had a lot of the forwards back and Mm -hmm. the lack of commitment back checking defensively from the forwards is a problem. That's not, that's not a defensive scheme thing. That's a, Hey, get back there and help your defenseman out thing. Um, Warinsky, Warinsky did not have a great defensive season. Mm-hmm. Gavrikov did not have a great defensive season. Um, I get, you know, you got guys like Andrew Peak who are new and trying to play regularly. You got Gabriel Carlson and Gavin Bayer, they're guys who played more games than they probably should have, right. had not great years. Maybe they, the, a lot. Maybe part of your coaching staff could have been mitigated. Don't hire a guy who's an anti-vaxer. Um, yeah. Initially, but uh, we'll. I, I'm willing to give it one more year with McCarthy sure. as the defensive coach, but if I don't see like market improvement from those guys, he better be packing up his pens and his ficus plan mm-hmm. last day of the year next year. Because and, and, and as for the forwards on defense, I would say that the changes that we did have on forward were meaningful in that you know Felino, Riley Nash, Cam Atkinson, these were really good defensive forwards that. We, you know, we lost from last season and, you know, you had a guy like Alexander Texier who stood out as one of our best defensive forwards this year. And then he missed the entire second half of the season. So, you know, things like that certainly had an impact, but I agree that everyone could be better. There's certainly, there's a, an effort element to it that needs to be more present there. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you know, I feel like this is a team that generally didn't quit. This was a team that fought hard to, you know, get back into games, but yeah, th- there needs to be that commitment to getting back to your spot on defense. Right. And part of it seems like every little mistake was punished, but like, yeah. why were there so many mistakes? Like I, I get there was some injuries or some turnover, but I'd like to see, a, and maybe this comes with another full off season where these guys can like work together, a better training yeah. camp. I don't know. I don't, frankly, I don't remember how much COVID affected training camps or whatever, but maybe spend a good chunk of next training camp working on like defensive zone breakouts and neutral zone play. Please. I'm begging you for my (laughs) own sanity. Please work on breakouts. Yeah. That would, that would be a good start. Yeah. But overall, overall, my general thought on the season is not, not great. Not as bad as I expected. Definite things to improve on next year. And we have, markers to look forward to how they improve next year now do you think that the team is ahead of schedule on the rebuild are they are they closer to contention than maybe you perceive that they were at this time last year yeah they have one of their two top six centers in the in the the system 
Yeah. Go find a second. All right. Fair enough. Um, now, a player that is not a center but will be joining the team is Kirill Marchenko. Uh, we've talked a lot about him. He was the second-round pick in 2018. He's a winger that has been playing in the KHL. Um, so his contract there finally expired. So the Jackets signed him on Monday to a two-year entry-level contract. Um, any quick thoughts on what Marchenko is going to bring to the team? Reasonably impressed they got him signed, um, yep. given world events. <laughs> but uh, no, I think he's going to bring. I think he's going to bring some skill as a winger. Um, I think he kind of got a short. He got the short end of the stick over in the KHL, given that, yeah, once he kind of made his intentions to come to the NHL known, they kind of gave him the short end of the stick and he didn't get much playing time. But he's a big guy, um, expected to contribute in probably a top six role. At least I assume they'll give him that option. Um, Give him a look early and see what he can do. Um, Doesn't hurt to have scoring depth. uh, Doesn't hurt to have a big body who can skate. um, Playing in probably your middle six, he... He's going to be something, so I'm I'm, in, I'm excited to see what he does when, when he gets here. Yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned his size because, you know, it seems like one thing that we've been missing the last few years is a Josh Anderson type, and I wonder if he can be that. You know, I don't I haven't heard much in the scouting report of in terms of him playing physically or or what kind of defense or forecheck he has, but he has the size that if he's willing to learn, I'm sure that. Larson and staff can teach him to be that kind of player. Um, you know, it just like it even lining has gotten a little bit better at, mm-hmm. you know, battling a little bit for the puck and just, you know, making it, taking advantage of your size. So having another large winger, uh, I think. We'll right. Even him. just a, even just a guy who like Josh, remember he just would, you know, carry the puck, you know, shield a guy and carry the puck into the zone. And like, we haven't had a big winger who can really do that outside of Patrick line since, since Josh left. And that's like, if Marchenko can kind of use his frame to do that and kind of set up some plays that way, that'd be, that'd be a really nice asset to have. Well, and we just have too many guys that are easily pushed off the puck. And so, yeah, um, that's why other hit the weight <laughs> yeah. room in the off season, right? Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. F- figure. Yeah. Everyone should figure out where the bench press is in the locker room this summer. All right. When we come back, we will start previewing the first round of the Stanley cup playoffs. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. Hello, I'm Neil Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial Series right in the Decoder feed. 
New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. All right. So Monday night was the start of the Stanley Cup playoffs. So we are going to go through here and preview the uh, the first round series and give our predictions. Now, I have to uh, do a self-own here. I was looking back at our preseason predictions, and my pick for Stanley Cup final was Vegas over the Islanders. So... Um, <laughs> Uh, I went 0 for 2 on that one. Now, I don't want to go too deep into the playoffs here, but I will say that, Seeds, your pick was Colorado over Florida. So, uh, yeah, I'm a genius. Stand by that? Are you standing by that prediction for the final? No. Oh. Um, so this is where I – so we won't – obviously, we'll talk more about the playoffs in the Stanley Cup as we dive into it. My official prediction, as tweeted out 10 seconds ago – is I've got Florida or I've got Colorado over Carolina in the play, okay. in the Stanley Cup final. I, th- I first of all I think the Avalanche are the, just the best team. Um, right. they're the most they're the most complete. They're the most well rounded. They're the deepest. I think the Avalanche are going to win the cup, and I'm going to keep picking them until they do. I think Carol. I think the Atlantic is going to be a. I think the Atlantic is going to be just the. First of all, it's going to be the best series. I think it's going to be an absolute war and. Mm-hmm. The reason I'm picking Carolina is more than I think the Atlantic is just going to beat itself into oblivion and Carolina is going to take advantage of that in the Eastern final. Okay. Interesting. So in terms of the first round series, let's go ahead and start with Carolina because I think they have one of the most interesting matchups and it's the game that we're both watching here as we're recording it. Uh, Carolina for, you know, having one of the best season, best regular seasons in their um, in franchise history, great team, won the Metro, and the reward is that they have to face the Boston Bruins, who have been surging in the second half of the season, are a very experienced playoff team, uh, won the Eastern Conference in 2019. So this is a series that I have as a um, seven-game series. Um, now, I do give the edge to Carolina, but I am concerned about their goaltending. Um, you know, Ranta has experience, but I, they really need to get Freddie Anderson back if they want to make a run. But uh, obviously you still have Carolina winning this series. Yeah. I, I also have concerns about the Carolina goaltending. I saw Freddie Anderson's reported to miss the first two games of this series, and then they're going to reevaluate him. Um, I legitimately think this is the, like if they get through Boston, this they're this is harder than their round two matchup. It's kind of like, okay. yeah, I think, um, I think Carolina wins this series. Eventually. I think, I don't think Boston's forward group is as deep as Carolina's and in a long series that will make the difference. I think Carolina, if they can split, split the first four games and get Freddie Anderson back, I think they'll win a best two or three series against Boston, especially okay. with two home games in game seven at home. That, that makes sense. Now, you know, Boston, though, that, that top line is so good. Patrice Bergeron, how the hell is he having his best he's, season he's ever? 38 years, he's 38 uh, years old, and he's going he, he's like a runaway Selkie winner. I don't, I don't understand. I it, don't understand. Now, you know, what I think what the advantage with Carolina there is they have enough scoring depth that, you know, even if Bergeron shuts down one of their lines, they can score elsewhere. Um, but I also want to give a shout-out is – Charlie McAvoy may be the most underrated defenseman in the league. Charlie McAvoy 
is probably going to win one Norris in his in his career. And 10 years after we retire or after he retires, we're going to look at his career and be like, how did this dude not win four or five? Because he's, right. he is an, an incredible defenseman. He is as good defensively as Roman Yossi and Kale McCarr are offensively. Right. And, but because he doesn't put up is the points of those guys or goals. Those guys do, he doesn't get the recognition and it's criminal. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, this is going to be uh, in both teams. I think you play a really physical style of hockey and play suffocating defense at times. So that's the series that I'm probably most looking forward to in the first round. Um, let's see the next one coming up uh, also debuting on Monday uh, in the Atlantic division, Tampa and Toronto. Here's so, my favorite series of the first round. Oh man. So I think the fact that Toronto keeps struggling to get out of the first round to be hilarious. And if that happens again, it's going to be even more hilarious. Uh, is this year that they finally break that streak? Well, per my official prediction, I've got Tampa winning game seven in Toronto. I okay. do not think, I do not think this is the year for Toronto. I and kind of what solidified this for me in my mind, I had made these predictions before I made these predictions on Sunday night before all the news on Monday and reporting about lineups and everything broke. And then it was announced Monday that Toronto is icing a heavier lineup to compete against the Leafs on in game one on Monday night. And I was like, if you are in game one, kowtowing to Toronto's play style or to Tampa's play style, Toronto, I've got, I've got bad news for you. Um, Tampa is obviously savvy and very experienced, and they are a team that don't really care where they ended up in this playoffs race. They, you know, they've won the last two cups. They think they can, they they know they can beat just about anyone in the playoffs. They've done it. I don't trust Toronto. I don't trust their goaltending. I don't trust their coaching staff. I don't trust their stars to deliver in big moments. We've seen Matthews and Marner disappear. I think they're going to be good enough to force game seven in these playoffs. But I just think the experience and savvy of Tampa Bay is just too much. Plus in the playoffs, the biggest question mark is goaltending and they've got the bet and Tampa has the best goaltender on the planet. Yeah. Goaltending is the the big reason why I don't trust Toronto. I do think that Matthews and Martyr will show up in this series. I think it'll go seven. Uh, This is not as good of a Tampa team as we've seen the last two years, but they are still very good and they know how to win. So that's why I think they will take it in seven. Also, can we just can we just talk real quick? Imagine the Toronto crowd if Tampa wins Game Seven in the air or in the in Toronto. Like, just imagine. Uh, I, I can't wait for the Steve Dangle video after that happens. So, <laughs> uh, moving on to then the, the other two series in the East, I think are a lot less interesting. Um, Florida, Washington. I, I think that's going to be a sweep. I, I don't. I don't see Washington taking game in that series. Do you? I gave. I gave Florida. I gave it Florida in five. I'm kind. I'm pretty reticent to pick a sweep, so I gave him a gentleman sweep. But yeah, I think. I think Florida wins this handedly. Florida is markedly better, markedly deeper, and yeah, I don't. I don't. Yeah, it's 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 can Ovechkin score his way to beating the Panthers? And I don't think so. No, no. Yeah, you can't. You can't win a playoff series with just one guy. Not and yeah, as good as Ovechkin is, that's just not going to happen. Uh, and then Rangers Penguins. I've got Rangers in five. Um, I think I maybe would have given the Penguins more of a shot if Tristan Jari was healthy, but if with him questionable, and uh, I just I, I just think New York is deeper. Um, Shesterkin is 
so good in goal that he can carry this team really far. And the Rangers were kind of mediocre for the first half of the season and were carried by, by goaltending. But over the second half of the season, the rest of the team has started playing a lot better. And so that gives me a lot more confidence in what the Rangers. Yeah, um, all that makes sense. That being said, I picked the Penguins at six. Um, oh. I think this is the last run for the Crosby, Malkin, Latang core. And I do not think they're going to go out in the first round. I think Malkin is going to have a big series. I think Latang and Crosby are going to have big series. And I think um, the Rangers being so young and inexperienced in the postseason, that just uh, – we've, we've seen teams like, for example, the, the year the Blue Jackets won uh, or had 108 points, they, they didn't make it out of the first round because they ran into the Pittsburgh Penguins. And Sergei Bobrovsky, who'd had an outstanding season, kind of got shook in a, in a big playoff series. Possible same happens to Shurkin. So I picked the Penguins just because I don't think – this is the end for that core, and of course, I uh, the Penguins exist to ruin my life, so I figured I'm just going to pick them to make me more miserable. Fair enough. And uh, I think Mike Sullivan is a, is a great hockey coach, has had playoff success, so if it comes down to coaching in this series, I trust Sullivan more than I trust Gerard Gallant. As good as Gerard Gallant is, he doesn't have that postseason success yet, really. So on to the West, Colorado-Nashville, that's... There's just no way there, right? No, uh, especially with uh, UC Soros hurt. Um, I know I said I'm, I don't pick sweeps, so I picked Colorado in five, but you could tell me Colorado wins each of these games four to one, and I'm not shocked. Yeah, I said five as well, but I'm not sure why I did that. Yeah, if Soros doesn't, isn't going to play, I'm not sure. Uh, I don't think Big Save Dave can uh, steal one there for the Preds. Maybe Roman Yossi has nine points in game three. <laughs> oh, maybe, maybe. Um Calgary over Dallas. I something about the stars just bothers me. I, I just something about this team. I just can't get behind. I and I, I'm not sure what it is. I I love that first line. The Hints Robertson Pavelski line is tremendous. Love to watch them play. I think I get frustrated that Jamie Ben and Tyler Sagan are just like not as good as they used to be, or not as good as they should be. And the team's not very deep, and they've been kind of really mediocre this season. So I just kind of want to, them to get out of this as soon as possible. Uh, am I wrong? No. Um, first first question, um, I got two questions for you, I guess. First question, how many years do you think Tyler Sagan has left on his contract? <laughs> uh, three. He has five years left at $9.8 How old is he? Tyler Sagan is currently 30 years old. Wow, he's actually a lot younger than I thought. <laughs> he's younger than I am, and I, now I feel terrible for talking trash about this. Uh, um, yeah, yeah, that contract's not going to age well. Oof. Second question, um, or se- I guess second observation, didn't Dallas only have like 30 regulation wins this year? So Something like that, yeah. yeah they, I don't see this, I don't see this being close. Points. Yeah, for sure. Um. Yeah, I picked Calgary. I picked Calgary in six. Easy. So, easy. and again, again, I didn't want to go too too much farther in the playoffs, but I will say that, and I I didn't go in picking a cup winner up front. I just picked each series as it came on my bracket. I picked Calgary to win it all. I really love the way they play. Like any Sutter team, they're great defensively. 
They've got a goaltender that I think could steal things as it goes. And they're a team that, like Florida, they can just score a bunch of points. So And they've got I, a really easy road up until the conference final. Yeah. So, yeah, speaking of that, um, if they win, there's a good chance that the second round we could get a battle of Alberta. Um, I've got Edmonton in six over L.A. I think a lot of people are not giving L.A. much of a shot. Um, do you think there's any path for L.A. to, to beat Edmonton here? If Phil Deneau shuts down McDavid, sure. But, um, no, I picked Edmonton in six as well. I think... I think the uh, I think the Kings' defense will be good enough in a game or two, but they I don't think they're going to play. I think the Kings are the Kings this year are what we want the Blue Jackets to be in a year or two, where they're yeah. they've made their way back to the playoffs, clawed you know kind of unexpectedly. They're probably a year or so ahead. Um, they've got some nice pieces to build around. They look pretty solid defensively. But they're just ahead of schedule. So I think Edmonton wins, but I think Calgary sees the season as or. I think Edmonton wins and Los Angeles sees the season as an unequivocal win. Yeah. And, and I got to say that the acquisitions of Victor Arvidsson and Phil Deneau in the offseason were tremendous and helped the team a lot more than I expected, a lot sooner than I expected. Um, so that brings us to the last series. And this is probably the, the most, uh, the one I'm most excited to see in the West and probably second most excited to see overall Minnesota, St. Louis. This one, I think, is going to be another seven-game series. Mm-hmm. These two teams, I there's a lot of similarities, both very physical teams. I, I think this is going to be some really awesome old-school playoff hockey. Yeah, I think this series is going to be awesome. Um, I also have it going seven. Uh, fun fact about this series, do you know the only team in the playoffs that has seven 20-goal scorers? Is that St. Louis? It is the Blues. The Blues do ah. it by committee. The Blues do it by committee. Um, Minnesota's obviously led by Kirill Kaprizov. They made probably the biggest move of the trade deadline when they got Marc-Andre Fleury out of mm-hmm. Chicago. He's really short up their, their goaltending situation. Him and Cam Talbot have been really good down the stretch. Minnesota is the best team over the last like month or two. I want to mm-hmm. say they're like 21-3-2 or something like something absurd down the stretch. Right. Um. But St. Louis is no slouch. They, they've been hot on their heels, and they boast scoring throughout that lineup. They have they signed Jordan Bennington to a big contract, but credit to their coaching staff and management, they have been willing to bite the bullet and bench him. Vile Husso has been incredible for them since he came into net. He, he carried me to the fantasy hockey runner-up title. And, um, and, he, and he is going to get the start uh, in Monday night's game. One, yeah, so. he's yeah, he's and he deserves it. He's been the better goaltender this year, unequivocally. Um, I think this series is going to be a banger. I cannot wait to watch pretty much every second of it until I fall asleep on the couch. And then, <laughs> um, but I've got Minnesota in seven. Yep, that's what I've got as well. So we'll see how our predictions hold up. Um, I'm prepared to be wrong on some of them, but I'm mostly just excited to sit down and watch a lot of great hockey. I'm excited to see what. ESPN and TNT do with their coverage. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be a different kind of coverage than we saw from NBC, which I thought had just gotten stale. I've I've mostly liked what I've seen in the regular season from those two networks. So um, excited to see that come forward, just to see this, the playoffs split among a bunch of channels here. 
So um, also a shout fun. out um, to cover coverage related. Um, Jody Shelley and Jean Luc Grandpierre are going to be on the co- on the call for, uh, or they're going to be on coverage for uh, Minnesota St. Louis Game Three. So any Blue Jackets fan who wants to ch- tune in and check out a couple of our guys getting some uh, additional airtime, that'd be the game to do it. Yeah, that's really awesome. I know Jody has done some playoff national playoff stuff before, but I think this is a first for Jean Luc and. You know, considering that he's only been doing this full time for a few years, like that's huge for him to get that national call up and uh, really excited for him. And yeah, both those guys are, are they very, definitely deserve it. So that's big for them. All right. Any other final thoughts before we get off? Shout out Malcolm Subban for singing the anthem before uh, yeah. that final game. I just want to give a sh- quick shout out to him. That was super awesome. Um, apparently teammates encouraged him to do it. So he just went and like warmed up and then said, yeah, I'll do it. It was really cool to see all the uh, players react, you know, banging their sticks on the bench or on the boards. Um, so shout out Malcolm Subban. Uh, it's not often you see or ever see a player sing the national anthem. So good well, on him. And it was cool, too, that, that the Sabres were hosting the Blackhawks and Subban had started the season with the Blackhawks, then got traded to the Sabres and then he got injured. So he was done for the season. But yeah, sing the anthem at the finale. I thought he, he did a really, really good job with it. Crushed and, it. <laughs> yeah, uh, just... Love Malcolm Subban, love PK Subban, just a great family there. It's nice to see the the teammates excited about it. I just love things that are just, there's nothing bad about it. It's just all fun and happy and a positive thing. So yeah, that's, that is a great note to end on. And, and you know what? Buffalo was a good story. They, you know, not a good team, but a team that found a way to win some games down the stretch, get their fans excited, get them. They finally have something to look forward to in the future. So, um, yeah, good for Buffalo. All right, that'll do it for us this week. Um, stay tuned to the canon. We'll have more season wrap-up coverage. We'll have more playoff coverage on the site. We'll be starting our player report cards, so be sure to keep an eye out for that and cast your vote for how you think each of these players has done this season. And we'll talk to you next week. For more content from the canon, go to jacketscanon.com. You can also follow the canon on Facebook and on Twitter at cbjcanon. If you like this podcast, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and be sure to subscribe on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Our theme music is the song Green Eyes by Angela Perley and the Howlin' Moons. Go to AngelaPerley.com for more music and show dates.